0: And welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jesse Parker-Humphreys, joined today for the first time in 2024 by Nick Mullaney and Ollie Glanville. Boys, happy new year. How are we doing?
1: Well, I mean, this was uh, this was a little more contentious than I thought it was going to be today. So, uh, you know, just uh, sleepwalking back into it. How about that?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if we're, we're happy to see the, the girls being back. And, you know, I think... Uh, it's obviously been a bit of a weird couple of weeks. Basically, Ollie obviously with the Sam news, um, but I walked into Kings Meadow. The sun was shining. I saw them all warming up, and I thought, ah, it is great to see them. Then they played like that, and I thought, is it great to see them? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if this is going to be how we start January, it's going to be a hell of a long month. <laughs> it's going to be a really interesting one to 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 watch. But yeah, some of the some of the performances, especially off the bench, are really encouraging and. Yeah, I think we've got a lot to look forward to this month and this season.
0: You can always rely on Ollie to have like the positive optimistic take i feel like having ollie and nick on this podcast is having like ollie the angel and nick the devil on my my shoulders because one of them is going to be a lot <laughs> exactly we're really going to get both sides on this um i do want to start with the good because i th- i think there is a lot of bad to talk about uh from today specifically obviously we were playing west ham in the fa cup eventually got the win thanks to a little bit of help from extra time but harry edwards tweeting After the game, that's now 16 consecutive FA Cup games without defeat for Chelsea since their last loss in October 2020. Goals 51, conceded seven, trophies three. And we've only played one non-WSL team in that time too. Nick, it was stressful today. And there were points where I thought we're not getting, like we're not playing another round of this competition. But that is just an insane run.
1: Yeah, I, like the the numbers kind of put it in perspective how dominant Chelsea have been in this competition. And I also think how seriously they've taken this competition. Like there are plenty of teams that are not Chelsea who have put out weaker squads or assumed that they were going to go on and win a match. And, and for the West Ham's of the world who are not having a great season, like this is it for them. Like th- there are no other opportunities for them to to potentially spring an upset or do anything real in the league. So you have to take it really seriously. And this shows that Chelsea not only has had the talent to win it, but that they've had the mentality to win it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously, well, I mean, I did the draw, so I have to take responsibility for this tie. But when I did the draw, I <laughs> thought in some ways this was a good match. And I still think that after playing it, because I having seen how we played, i have much preferred for us to get, hopefully, touch wood, this kind of performance out our system now, Ollie, Head heading into United at the Bridge on Sunday, than potentially playing a Watford or a Luton or a Moneyfield and just sort of, like, going through the motions.
2: Yeah, and, you know, we'll come on to it, but it did feel like in the first half they just felt like they could kind of turn up and take the, you know, take the result, go on to the next round and... No one really care and the reality is they had to like snap out of that um emma touched on it after the game but they didn't look ready at all to play football <laughs> and it's kind of a worry that after every break like international break break in morocco <laughs> any kind of like break whatsoever we need Sunker,
0: a acl break
2: <laughs> well heartbreak yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know we we need a moment to come back into it and and really push on and I'm glad it's out of our system, as you said, yeah.
0: Well, I hope it's out of our system. Let's uh, kick off with some three-hour match reviews before we get into analysing the whole game. I'm going with play a striker for mine because, oh my God, I was banging my head on my desk for the first, like, 60 minutes of this game or however long it took for Mia to get on because, I mean, we will talk about it properly, but I think... When Abdullah and I did the ACL Sam Kerr emergency pod, we went through a lot of different options in the squad who could play number nine. And I specifically said, like, LJ was not one of them. Please don't in my mind this. <laughs> but that is what we watched. And I'm pleased to say I'm right. What I will say, guys, is that the sweetness of being right, one of the best feelings in the world, is not good when it's your team as a result being crap. But. It is what it is, Nick. What's your three-word match
1: review? I'm pleased to say that I am right. It's such a good. <laughs> I fucking love that so much. I'm gonna say that to Brandon and Dan all the time on the other show now, and <laughs> you just. I mean, they're gonna blame you, but that's okay uh, with me. Uh, I went with "Don't assume trophies." Uh, per the sleepwalking comment earlier, that you know, obviously West Ham not having a great season, it felt like they thought they could just walk in, win four nil, and walk out, and they got punched in the face, and that was the exact, uh, you know, way that you know they they needed to kind of wake up. So hopefully uh, the
2: team does not assume trophies moving forward. Ollie, yeah, for sure. Um, I went with Emma's Mia Colpan, dual entendre for you know. Oh, very good. Hey-o. that's
0: very very <laughs> Look good. Look at that. Yeah, like that uh, a lot.
2: Um, similar thing. Yeah, please don't do this again. That experiment lasted far too long for my liking and it was a waste of one of our most talented players and it kind of made her look very frustrated and we'll come on to her day as well. But yeah, I I think Mia's cameo there was obviously really, really important. Um, She doesn't score unimportant goals, it seems. She's got two now, one at the bridge against Spurs and one to basically take us to extra time here. So yeah, hopefully that trend continues and she keeps scoring important goals.
1: My my favorite yeah. tweet of the day was Jesse at halftime when we're all on the WhatsApp going, surely there are about to be four or five changes here at half. There are no changes at half. Uh, that was your <laughs> essentially your tweet. So
0: I was like, they're sticking with it. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I, was, I was. I was watching like you know the subs warming up and being like, wow, everyone's come out very quickly. Um, everyone's very much there warming up on the pitch. I was like. Doesn't look like anything's gonna change. You guys,
1: you um, guys, what's going on?
0: Yeah, I know. Emma is amazing for like when we play a half that I think is fine, but like we're behind sometimes she'll just change everything and then we can be behind and play a half that I think is awful. She'll be like, "No, I'm going to stick with it." I'm like, "Come on." Um, all right. Yes, this was our 3-1 win over West Ham. Thanks to a little bit of extra time, Vivia Sae gave West Ham the lead after 18 minutes and we struggled to find an equaliser. Me, official, eventually came up with the goods in the 70th minute Um, and then in extra time, Aaron Cuthbert scored in the 101st minute and Sugar Nuskan, well, Google have put it down as Sugar Nuskin. I'm calling it Agbev Jones scored yes. in the 105 plus two minutes. Uh, so basically at the end of the first half of extra time. Um, and from there on in at least it was fairly smooth sailing to get to the end of the game let's talk about these lineups because i think the way both teams set up was really interesting so chelsea had moussevich in goal uh back four of ashley lawrence kadisha buchanan jess carton ed perese um new charles was obviously suspended for this match because of her red card against bristol city so that's sort of why we had perese and lawrence playing as fullbacks on opposite sides Ingle Cuthbert and Kirby made up the midfield with Canada on the right, Guru Rison on the left, and the surprise package, Ollie, <laughs> Lauren James as the nine. And before the game, all the chat was when we saw the lineup, is is this going to be Kirby? Is this going to be James? I think a lot of people myself included thought it would be Kirby, and it was not
2: it wasn't. Ah, uh, it shouldn't be. It should have been um <laughs> yeah, it it was um like i i'm glad we did this now so it's kind of out of our system hopefully because from what we saw of, of the of the time when loram had to play false nine you were just getting the worst of of what she can offer at, at all points she was you know having to run back to receive the ball um she was kind of vacating the center to to receive the ball wide like we've seen sam do but also it meant that when we were um, angling the ball out wide for um, Guru or or Yoyo. Those kind of square passes back weren't on because there was no one in the box. And it's great, you know, to to have a false nine of the of the ability of of Lauren when you're creating loads and loads of chances around the box. Less so when she was essentially taking up a a second ten role and kind of just shooting from outside the box. Um, and it. It was kind of an exercise in, in futility there because, yeah, we, we were trying the same thing over and over and over again. And it clearly wasn't going to work against that kind of back nine or back 10 at times. time. So, yeah, it was, it was an issue and I'm glad it changed.
0: Yeah, I think that that's also like really crucial in talking about this game is how West Ham set up. And we should say, you know, West Ham are like joint bottom of the WSL, but they've made some really big signings in January. Obviously, this was meant to be the Kerr-Mewis derby, not to be, obviously, because Kerr's ACL. Mewis also, like, was not fit, so wasn't in the squad for this game. But they did have Shalina Zadorski slotting into their back five, who I think is a very competent defender. Um, They've signed her online from Spurs. And Katrina Gorey, who anyone who watched the World Cup will know how good she is in midfield and she again had like I mean for her debut I thought like look great I think she's going to absolutely eat up the WSL but they played this very flat back five with Hayashi and Gori sort of as this double pivot Emma Schnurler as the 10 who was pretty quiet and then crucially Nick Rico Ueki and Vivi Asahi up against carter and buchanan and uh, you know we'll get on to talk about it but but this was there was a very clear plan from west ham about how they wanted to play and i think a lot of understanding this game is almost chelsea's failure to adapt to the west ham game plan
1: yeah absolutely i mean obviously west ham are not going to out technical chelsea uh, in any way shape or form but what they can do is hit you over the head with a sledgehammer multiple times. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. And frankly, it's it's a shame on everybody involved. Both sides of the game plan. Was there training in Morocco? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it couldn't have been a surprise what they were doing, right? I mean, this is not a team that, that is just blessed with an immense amount of technical ability. But I, again, the goal was so easy for them. It was such an easy goal from all angles. No one tracks. Then we get behind. And even with Buchanan's pace, it wasn't enough. Ali makes the point in, in our in our WhatsApp as we're going through, like, Zajir Musevich is nowhere to be found in, in the middle of the goal. Neither left nor right. Just gets stuck in the ground. And it's like, I mean, that's how easy it's going to be to play against us. It's just to go over the top two-touch in yikes man like that's a that's a really worrisome thing because we're gonna play many 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 better teams this season than west ham and if all of them aren't watching that film i would be shocked
0: yeah i do think interestingly i I spoke to a west ham fan sort of on twitter during the game who their frustration has been that rohan skinner hasn't done enough of this kind of you know, real long ball. And I don't know if Chelsea also had been sort of lulled into the full sense of security of the idea that, you know, Skinner's teams always want to, like, try and play at a level above their technical ability. But, yeah, she threw that out the window today, and she was right to do so, I think. And, you know, it very nearly paid off for her. But let's take a quick ad break here, and then we will dive into, I think, the these two twin elements of the game, the the striker issue and and the defensive problems. So as Ollie has already summarized there were so many issues basically with the the Lauren James decision to play her as the nine. I think it was very very clear from early on that yeah. okay maybe it wasn't I'm trying to think about how I kind of felt about this as the game went on because I feel like sitting at the end of the when the experiment ended after about an hour it was so clear it didn't work. But at the start of the game, I was like, I can see why she's been picked. And maybe this is like the best place to try and start. Because I guess, Nick, the idea is to a certain extent that LJ is probably one of the best, if not the best finishers currently fit at the club. And with your absolute best finisher in Sam Kerr unavailable, maybe you put LJ there to sort of snaffle up what opportunities come her way and she did get opportunities and I think part of what has to be talked about unfortunately in this whole conversation about where she was is also how she played because I think we've got two things going on here I think it was silly to put her at the nine but I also think she was below the level herself of even what I would have expected of her as the nine
1: yeah like I think I would compare the way that she played in the way that Cole Palmer played against Middlesbrough is very similar, (laughs) right? Like both had chances, both missed very clear opportunities, but was it a good game plan? Probably not. Um, And so if you're, if you're just looking at it, it it can be both bad play and bad game plan. Uh, I like the theory, I think for her, and I think this is different from, from the men's side. Is that she is a, an excellent striker of the of the ball, of course, and when she gets in dangerous areas, you put money on her scoring rather than not. But also, she's a tremendous facilitator because she attra- attracts so much attention, right? And I think that's a lot different than maybe what what Cole is, and that's on, on the men's side. Different. She, in theory, I think what they were trying to do is like have the back three of West Ham collapse on her and have lanes of opportunity for JRK or for Guro or for Aaron moving up or any number of like combinations, even Ashley Lawrence kind of coming wide in reality, West Ham largely stayed disciplined though. And that was going to be pretty obvious from like the 15th or 20th minute on that, that was just not working. And so then LJ was dropping, you know, I think as, as previously referenced, she was dropping deeper. No one was really running with her though. So the midfield was kind of collapsing down, but the back line wasn't. And then she'd get stuck, lose the ball or spray a pass out. And then we'd recycle and, the team was just really struggling, I think, all offensively to understand how to break
2: this, like really it's a block nine down. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a traditionist. I do. I do love. I am a kind of tactical nerd in that sense as well. Unashamedly, but. Twitter tactical. Oh. Also, right. Yeah. Secrets out the bag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the issue with a false nine is you have to have trained it a lot. Right. You really have to have trained it's it a lot. system. Exactly. Like it has to be but essentially your entire game plan. And we know Sam's been out injured for about two weeks. <laughs> so the idea that we would we would have this like in our bag ready to go, there's no way LJ's train falls nine since the summer. You know, she didn't really play at United when they had injury issues either, or even at youth level. She's not really played there. She's always been an inside forward, right? So technically it's a great idea right she has brilliant shot power she has great technique she's one of our the best finishers at our club great those things all happen when she develops play from deep um if you're gonna play her up front you limit her to the extent where she just becomes essentially a box predator and that's absolutely not lauren's game and never will be in my opinion <laughs> um the reality is, she needs runners off her as well, and she exacerbated the problem when she was dropping deeper because it just allowed West Ham to just sit, especially at one nil with that <laughs> the frankly ridiculous goal to concede. It didn't give them any kind of motivation to to push out with her and and you know make those gaps, make those channels for people like uh, Super Fran or Guru to to bomb into. Right, they just weren't there. You, you just had an extra wall and extra player occupying space in the tent so that was the issue there right um i think that was quite clear after maybe half an hour (laughs) like we'd kind of established you know by way before half time that that wasn't going to work um and the issue is you know (laughs) we were hitting the bar we were having pot shots from distance but they weren't really developed attacks they were moments of individual brilliance that maybe could pay off another day maybe we go in you know one all or, or two one like undeservedly really but that's the reality of it so i'm glad we switched it up but i'm also glad we got to see it and maybe never do it again
1: <laughs> I, I mean i th- I think to your point though ali i'll, I'll say something ridiculous here I'd rather play Lauren James as like a standalone six than ever see her in this position again, <laughs> because at least from back there, I know she can run up and do the things that she's really good at from up. Like she just gets stuck. And then I think the ideas go away and like shame on this team still, you know, I know girls only been back for a, a couple of weeks. We haven't really gotten her going either. And like, that's a big concern to me because you think about the, the best of Chelsea last year, everything flowed through her. And we couldn't find a way, whether it's Lauren or anyone else really on the team, even to get her into dangerous attacking spaces where she could make that final pass to a Lauren who was maybe in the box in a different way than, than she's usually done. So uh, overall, uh, 0 out of 10. Don't need to see it again. All good. Thanks. Yeah.
2: And, and like to your point, you mentioned it earlier, Nick, right? W- were they trading like big conditioning going into this? because? I've never seen Chelsea women like stretch out so many hamstrings in one game like <laughs> we were like in the second half right not, not I don't even. know if the sandcastle building was the right technique
1: for the holidays <laughs> I think that was maybe the 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 issue Ollie. Yeah. so
2: but like you know uh Jesse I you know we were talking about it during the game and and Guru had some really nice moments and and Fran had some great moments in terms of developing attacks right but it all felt kind of disjointed. And I think that was kind of because they couldn't really put out the physical load because West Ham hustled us, right? And it's your point, like their new midfield, their new kind of and their uh attackers who work really hard, we didn't look ready for that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, well, I think this is this is an interesting element of it. I think I definitely think the Lauren James is instincts and I kind of agree I don't think I'd want them to change even if they could change because I think it's part of what makes her a really good player I like that she goes and finds the ball I, I'm not interested in turning her into somebody who like sits around the penalty area but even let's say this was something that had been trained for a lot longer which it clearly wasn't and like even if this was an idea I feel like this was totally the wrong situation to try it in this was the game where you do just play Mir as your nine and if you have to spam the box with crosses, that's what you do. Because you know West Ham are going to play a five. They always play a five.
1: And how do you know that? Because when Mia came in, everything changed.
0: <laughs> everything changed. Weird. But I think the other issue, though, even beyond LJ's movement, was that if you are going to play, and this is maybe a little bit of the difference between... Um, this game and like Cole in the false nine against Middlesbrough because Cole got the chances because Chelsea were trained already to play in a possession heavy manner that allowed them to move Middlesbrough's Middlesbrough's defence apart. And the problem I think also here was, was that we really after the first 15 minutes, certainly after I think West Ham scored struggled to keep the ball. And as a result, there wasn't room for players like Kirby and Cuthbert to make the runs that you want them to make with LJ as the false nine, potentially like pulling players out of position because we didn't have enough of the ball to create sustained pressure to do something like that. So that's why it's like it goes all the way through the team on a n- number, I think, of individual performances, Ollie, in in how we break this down because it was like, even if this was the idea, it really didn't look like, and I don't want to just go on individual players because I don't think it was just like a pure quality thing. I just also think it didn't look like we were planning on playing a very possession-heavy style.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll come on to it in terms of the defensive issues, but it felt like, um, you know, this would this would have worked if we'd done this and this and this as well, but we just tried this thing in isolation just to kind of see how it went and then the rest of the team just played as if we had Sam up front um, which clearly <laughs> wasn't the case Uh yeah it was it was a bit confusing and I think yeah you know coming back after the after the break maybe we need to have another kind of saying around Chelsea we've got run in Chelsea maybe this is just post-break Chelsea where things just don't work <laughs> and we just have to kind of play through it there's just bad vibes and just like take the win and and move on but i i do think when the changes were made there were lots of great moments actually and and maybe potentially kind of season defining moments in in the fact that emma can maybe trust some of these players a lot more
1: oh they were literally on the beach ollie it was on the <laughs> beach chelsea come on you got this
0: but all I will say on this, which I do find annoying, because this was Emma's big line after the game, was that we're always, like, we looked rusty. We hadn't played for ages. We hadn't played since December the 20th. And we are always bad after in, after breaks. Like, it, it's really, really standard. And I don't really know why that is. And I don't think this necessarily, you can't apply it to this one because it wasn't like everyone was playing football for their teams. But, Nick, I still have a problem with the fact that, like, seemingly we, we're supposed to not acknowledge the fact that, like... This was a bad tactical setup, and it didn't work. And you can't just put it on, we're bad after breaks. Like, sometimes you've got to go... Okay, like, the Kerr ACL injury is a massive, massive thing that is going to define the rest of our season. It's going to define the end of Emma Hayes' time at Chelsea. And I think it's right to feel concerned that this game was a first attempt at a solution.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... There would naturally be panic, right? Like, I think that's a fair enough emotion to feel. However, Emma's game plans have always been very interesting. (laughs) So when I look at when I look at today, and I use interesting in the nicest possible way, um, when you look at today, it's not a massive surprise that we got it wrong straight out of the gate because we have done before and gone on to win a bunch of things and been fine, but I would say the acknowledgement and willingness to change it after it wasn't working is what concerned me. Like, I I think if you went and read the receipts in our WhatsApp, uh, it would be like 25th minute. What the hell are we doing? 45th minute. Clearly there are going to be changes. 70th minute. No fucking changes yet. What's happened? Like progressively gets, there has to be a quicker uptake. This isn't working. We need to change it. And It's odd because we've seen her make really snap decisions in games. We've seen her make first half subs, which is a, you know, that's a tough, you know, person management thing to do, but it's, it's required. It was required today and they were just slow on the uptake. And so I think everyone just has to snap back in, realize people, you know, if every other team that we play this year knows that we don't have Sam Kerr and if they were sharks, that'd be blood in the water because we don't have that outlet to do on balls. We don't have the outlet. We don't have the person who's going to score the goal in the 90th minute at Arsenal at a game that we didn't deserve to draw that then we drew. Right. And we win the league because of moments like that. The team's going to have to play a lot better now because Sam's not here and she was a crutch and now she's not, but the the game plans also have to adapt and be better.
0: I just want to talk a little bit about the defense before we maybe get onto how everything sort of was changed because I, well, Abdullah and I, when we were sort of talking about what they, what Chelsea should have been working on in Morocco, uh, obviously now a question mark on what the hell they were working on in Morocco, but was defending and the way this team is set up to, to deal with, specifically, I think we were talking about transitional attacks, but this kind of had a similar element to it, even though this is very much sort of the hoofball up to the top, but it's about, how do our individual defenders set up to deal with 1v1 situations effectively? And, Oli, the concern here was, I think, it, from very early on, it felt like Rico ueki and Vivi Asahi both had the upper hand over Carter and Buchanan, to the point where, when Asai scored, and I do think Moussevich has a lot to answer for on the fact that she doesn't make that save, that she's totally positioned wrong on that. But the fact that there was that kind of opportunity didn't come as a surprise to me, even though we were within the first 20 minutes, because we'd seen a number of these balls. And the- Jess, I think in particular, really struggled to deal with Yueke. And I'm not being funny. Yueke is not the kind of player, not the kind of striker, who I feel like Jess Carter should be struggling to deal. This is not Bunny Shaw. <laughs> Basically, you know, like if you're going to get physically beasted as a defender, ultimately you want your defenders to be able to deal with, you know, things without physicality. But sometimes that might happen. I can accept that. I don't know. I don't understand what is going on right now. I don't know if it's a pressure thing. I don't know if it's having this constantly switching sort of goalkeeper defenders around her things. But I thought Jess in particular looked so out of sorts in terms of how she was dealing with those situations.
2: Yeah, I I think we've touched on it for a, for a few weeks, you know, p- um, before the break as well. Uh, I do wonder if it's a mental fatigue thing. I I I think she got herself in a lot of good positions just to clean up and mop up against Yueki, and you know, the one that springs to mind most is is when she you know she got in front of Yueki and just shielded the ball, and you're like, okay, it's Jess Carter, she's just gonna uh, clear the ball out, and then she somehow manages to kind of fall over the ball. And then it looks like Ueki's pushed her off the ball, but she hasn't. Jess has just kind of lost track of it. Um, and that's so unlike her. Um, and it's really frustrating because, you know, she's she had such a such a great, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, really, um, when you're talking about Jess Carter. And it just feels like in the last few months, she, what, last month or so, really, She seems to have this kind of mental fatigue, whether it is about covering for her defensive partner, whether that be Marin or or Keisha or that kind of constant change behind her. But it's manifesting as just not great performances, really. Um, And I suppose what really the way to come at this is, you know, we can't just rely on, on one defender constantly. And that's where I'd like to bring uh, Bjorn in on this, right? I thought I thought she came in and uh, had a really solid time of it. And I think if we can keep uh, Bjorn, Buchanan, and Carter in rotation while Millie is out, that's a much, much better place to be in, rather than saying, right, Jess, you are our only solid <laughs> centre-back, and we we require you to literally cover for everyone else clean up after everyone else and you're not going to get any rest you're going to play every single minute and i think that has kind of been this mental fatigue that is now manifesting in her performances um and i think that's a really nice way of thinking about bjorn is like she's not only coming in and giving that kind of nice solid aspect there and even some two-footed passing which was a plus that i didn't really know she had which is great um (laughs) But it it kind of rests Jess as well, right? And um, yeah, I don't know how th- you feel about that. Nick, I'm taking the other side of the equation
1: here because I I back Jess to bounce back. You know, I don't I don't think it was easy for Emma to take her off today, but it was required. And you know, days days happen like that. I mean, the bigger concern for me is that Lawrence and Buchanan have played together before, <laughs> and they did not look anywhere close to being on the same page and there were moments where Buchanan was outside of lawrence somehow explain that to me um and this wasn't because of like Be- lawrence coming way inside it was because we're doing overlapping center backs now like that's a it's a new tactical strategy from the um from the minds of the false nine so uh, yeah, I'm I'm super concerned about that. You know, I know that uh, Buchanan had a pretty a couple of pretty decent performances before the break, and we were you know I think we're all hopeful that she does settle in to be that. You know, right now we have to say Millie replacements. I don't know when the hell Millie's coming back, um, but if she's going to perform like that, she's going to get beat for speed, which I found really interesting. So I like, I can't imagine there are many fast. Many faster center backs than she. I mean, like that. I mean, there's none of that worked today. You just obviously felt that Jesse, like she was trying to cover, and then you had Eve on the other side, not you know, typically our left back, who was I think off a little bit too from a positional perspective. That was a discombobulated fucking mess for a lot of the game, and it it changed when Bjorn came in, which was good, but I mean, now what?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think actually it's a really interesting point to talk about parasite being used on the, the left-hand side. And I was really surprised by this. My assumption was that Eve would play on the right and Lawrence would play on the left. And I don't really understand what changed that because obviously the way we've seen Chelsea play is that Eve's tucked in as the right-sided centre-back, effectively, uh, to sort of play a, a back three. And I feel like this is, you know, if if I'm thinking about how do we deal with it, how do we offer more support in these situations so we're not got our two centre-backs isolated against two strikers? Because let's be real, just from a tactical perspective, that's, that's always going to be very, very tough for centre-backs to deal with across the course of a game. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like Eve had been asked to tuck in on the other side. That's certainly not what it looked like to me at all. Eve was actually the, you know, she was the one pushing up and I thought her, Kirby and Wrighton had some really, really nice moments as a trio. I thought there was a lot of space there to make the most of because West Ham were playing a flat back five effectively. I was surprised Lawrence didn't do more of that, which also suggests to me that Lawrence was the one being asked to sit back, but I didn't. It didn't feel like Ashley Lawrence knew whether she was coming or going in that kind of sense. We never looked like a back three in the way that we we sometimes do if Eve's on the right. And to that extent, Ollie, that again feels a little bit surprising because it's just a switch that I didn't really understand why it was made. And okay, we know that Neve's gonna come back and Neve will play against Manchester United. But also, you know, look at the situation we are in with Kurt. You don't know like how things are gonna change. In and of season, you know, Neve's only like unavailable for one game because she got a stupid red card. Whatever. It doesn't have to matter. We won the game. But again, it's just this. I just don't I just don't get it. I, I don't understand the logic behind switching those two. And if you were going to switch the two, why it wasn't to ask, for example, if you thought that, West Ham had a better threat down their right hand side, so you wanted Eve to be the player who tucked in on the left. Like, why change both of their roles?
2: Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because if you characterize the profiles of our left side today versus our right side today, you've basically got runners on the right, and you've got super technical players on the left, right? Marauders on the right. They Marauders. are <laughs> they 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 go on solo quests all the time, <laughs> right? And like including the centre backs, <laughs> like <laughs> our entire right side is that right? And then you've got you've got Erin on the right hand midfield as well. You're talking about super dynamic right hand side, right? And then on the left, you've got Guru who who prefers to have her foot on the ball. You've got um, Ev who prefers to have her foot on the ball. You have Jess who prefers to have her foot on the ball. You're talking about kind of like a complete imbalance, really, in terms of right and left. So it. Instantly, if you switch, um, if you switch Ashley over to the left, you have a kind of Neve, like quasi Neve style uh, fullback, right? If you move Ev over to the right, you have that kind of more solid base for Keisha to move move up from, for uh, Yo-Yo to, to bomb forward with. And they have that understanding. We know that from last season, right? And that's something that Emma built up. So yeah to to kind of choose that we we almost like lent into the chaos (laughs) with with that and uh yeah it's it was it was a confusing decision ultimately you know it did need to be changed and we kind of knew that for for a long long time during the match um but yeah it's it was odd to see it from the off being utilized in that way because yeah it just it didn't ever feel like it was really going to work it it felt imbalanced just from the team sheet and um yeah I'm obviously really glad it got changed Jesse
0: yeah I mean yeah for what it's worth I agree I thought Bjorn had a really good debut I thought she totally made the defense look so much secure when she came on and that is a good spot I think to take an ad break and then we'll talk more generally about all of the subs because I think that they all in their own way totally changed the game So we got a Fischl, Leupold, Bjorn substitution, basically, all within, uh, after the hour mark. Um, I think all three of them solved problems that we've already discussed. Um, I think Mia offered the focal point up front that we needed. I thought Leupold's. Uh, coming into the midfield gave us more control which you know ironically might have allowed us to look better with with LJ if, if she was still up there but um, I think that was a really really big boost and then I think Bjorn like just offered something a little bit different a little bit more secure uh, in the defense I think it also like Bjorn I think in particular just it just was a different element for West Ham to have to deal with. They, it, they didn't have the mental advantage of knowing they had something over Jess, which I think was was a really big boost. But Nick, I want to start with Mia because um, I found Hayes's post-match on Mia quite bizarre, and I don't know <laughs> if this has been seen sort of widely because it was the post-match she did with Journos. Now, I left because I wanted to get home for this podcast, so I didn't do the post-match. But um, it is on YouTube if you want to see it. If you go to Paul Lagann's, um Twitter, you can see uh, it. And Emma Hayes said in this, there was no one who directly asked about the LJ number nine thing. But Hayes said around Mia, she needs minutes. Which I thought was so bizarre. It felt very, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Uh, <laughs> because you could have played her. Yeah. It's up to you. <laughs> um
1: what are you telling me for? I, I know.
0: <laughs> and I was also just generally quite confused by this as a line and what it sort of says about where Mia sits. Because for me, like Mia changed the game. The hold up play, the runs that was made, the, the pinning West Ham's defense back, the the physical ability to, to go up against West Ham's defense, which to be fair is something I think LJ can do, but like wasn't doing because it's not her game. And then the finish, which was fantastic and kind of summarized all of those things we we know Mia's raw but I also found it so weird after that sort of 60 minute cameo effectively we had because we had you know the end of normal time and extra time for that to be the line just again felt so different to like what I was what I had watched in some ways I was like well yeah okay she's young There are lots of players on this team who are young. She's not played a lot for Chelsea. Again, we're all trying to find the guy. Like, Hayes is the one who's not playing her for Chelsea up till now. And, but when, you know, the hold-up play, for example, wasn't a surprise. Like, we've been talking in the games in December how good Mia's look when she's come on with her back to goal, even if she doesn't have that, like, necessarily finessing in the penalty area. But, yeah, just... I, I thought Mia was really good when she came on. Basically,
1: I mean, the goal is one of the better goals we've scored this year. It's a fantastic strike. I mean, it's there is zero the goalkeeper could have done about it. Even if it was hit straight at her, it was roofed. Uh, the physicality is amazing. The hold up play is a, is getting better all the time, and will continue to get better. She's twenty two, so you know I don't know what we're overly concerned about, and if not now, when? You your Star Striker isn't coming back this year. And you knew that. And you did a dumb thing anyway. And maybe it's that you're embarrassed that you screwed up the game plan so bad or something, but like you have to play her now. Like this has to be that your starting striker on the team sheet every single week. You know, I like Aggie's not going to play that similar role that she can do. Maybe they play with each other or off each other. I think that's a you know very interesting and dynamic option, but you bought her for this reason. So fucking player, this is exactly what you bought her for, for a very large amount of money. And when she's played, she's largely, I thought played pretty well, um, even if not the, the finished article. So
2: I don't know, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, we we know that I'm I'm pretty high on Mia in terms of her hold up and her ability to kind of up the tempo in games. And I thought it was so profoundly obvious when uh she was basically laying the ball off first time every single time, how much quicker we were going forward. Because, you know, we love LJ and and everything she can bring to the team, but you're not gonna get one or two touches from her. She she wants to own the possession there and and that's how she progresses forward and the majority of her chance creation is is from her her dribbling right with Mia, it's completely different she wants to lay it off spin get in on goal and shoot or head like that's her game right that's her whole game so it was a bit odd when you know knowing coming into this match that west ham are going to put up a wall they're going to demand you create chances through that wall and you know when you don't have anyone in the box you can't cross to them (laughs) So, you know, with Mia and how good she is in the air as well. And, you know, she she almost scored um a couple of minutes before um before she scored with with her head as well when she was just offside. It was just profoundly obvious when she came on that she should have started. And um it does feel kind of, you know, going back to the the standard Haitian rhetoric on uh, you know, this kind of artificial. You know we can't we can't but you got to bed them in. You know we we have to make sure that they, you know, learn the culture and blah blah blah. And we only see and run in running Chelsea all the kind of uh, stuff that we've sown through the season with our our new recruits, right? So the idea is is obviously we've had injuries as well, but you know these new recruits will only see the best of them come the back end of the season, and that's great. But the reality is that this is crisis mode now, right? We we've lost. Arguably the best player in the world, <laughs> and <laughs> and we need to replace what she offers. And you're not going to play replace all of what she offers. You're not going to replace the world class finishing. You know the the ability to use her as a crutch and just rely on her relentlessly for every game to do pretty much everything and carry the attack. But Mia can offer you some of those things, and and a lot of the things that a lot of people in the squad can't. And I think between Aggie. And Mia, you have a kind of proxy for what you're losing with Sam, that kind of drive, that kind of physicality, that uh, ability to hold up play. And we should lean into that. Like these are really hungry players as well. And they're really good. <laughs> like They're really good footballers. Like it, it's not like they're just, you know, we sign them on a whim. Like you've paid a lot of money for Mia and she's got a really high ceiling. Use her, you know. This is the Also,
1: the point, too, Jesse, for me is, like, you have a bunch in this team, a bunch of players, including Lauren, including Guru, including JRK, who want to have the ball at their feet all the time. They're creative types. They suck up the amount of touches that a team could possibly have an offensive possession with. You have to have players in that team who are okay only having one or two touches per offensive possession, or maybe none at all, who are making the hard runs anyway, who are doing the dirty work, like... You have to have, your, you know, a lion and a hyena. You have to have someone who's willing to be a scavenger, who, who's willing to take a weird bounce of the ball and just hit it and hope, right? Like that it's going to go. Every team needs balance. It, it, and I don't understand why that wasn't like super, super obvious, like from the beginning, because the minute that she came in, they had to worry about her in a, in a much much different way than they had to worry about Lauren who was always trying to touch the ball and control the play from that deeper role it just didn't even make any sense and i know we're we're monday morning quarterbacking over here to use an american phrase but if we see it you expect that the coaching staff should be able to see it
0: yeah also that's our job you know like podcaster is basically like monday morning quarterback <laughs> like fuck? we wouldn't it's have the anything best. to say it's the um best. But no, like I get you, and I also think uh, Mia is so much of what Mia offers, or what when I watch Mia, I see is like a version of Sam. Like it is, it is as close I think to sort of a version of Sam that you get in like U twenty three strikers. To be totally honest, um, which I think is why Chelsea signed it, and I don't know if there's something interesting here about. There's a lot of like this has come up a bit recently. I think the confusion around how much of Chelsea is Emma Hayes and how much of Chelsea women exist separate from Emma Hayes. And I don't know how much Mia is like falling in that gap right now because Emma's going like (laughs) she, she doesn't care. Like I, I know maybe people might want to think she cares about Chelsea, like past the end of the season. And she probably, you know, does like, In a supporty way. I'm sure she's want Chelsea to be But like she but she's not in like she's not interested. I mean, she's more interested in development Mia, I guess maybe than like some other players. She should be. But (laughs)
1: like
0: But Chelsea, I think, have known for a while that Emma was interested in going. Like, I don't think this is a total, total surprise to Chelsea. She said before that, you know, like, there were points where she thought about it, but with the ownership change, blah, 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 she wanted to stay loyal to the club. Love her for that. I think that's an amazing thing to do. But, like, this isn't... The US job didn't come out of nowhere. And I, I think that, you know, thinking that every signing Chelsea have made, particularly in the past 12 months, as being an Emma signing, is probably not true. Now, I think Emma likes Mia. I do, like, genuinely. But I also think, like, her version of development versus like where we see might be a big gap. And then there are other question marks like Kat Macario and how long she's taking to get back and what, like what Chelsea thought that timeline might be and like how she is a different kind of player who can play as a nine and whether that is something like there are so many different moving parts, but I think like the problem is, is that the thing that's tough with the Kerr Kerr plus Emma leaving is that something like Mia there is no time for the bedding in. Like, it, it. that's that's done. Like, Emma won't be here next year. Sam's not going to play for a year. If Emma doesn't feel Mia's ready now, she's probably not going to play Mia. And that's what it looks like to me. But the problem is, is I'm like, I don't really get who plays instead. Or, like, at least on this evidence. I mean, maybe we'll see Fran players. The like, maybe that's that's the next thing to see. But, um, yeah. That's just something that I feel like at like at the moment there's lots of like different tensions going on in the club and the reality is is like Chelsea women is a very like tight ship in what is said which I think is a good thing but I think that means like lots of different opinions can come and sort of it's like Emma is the figurehead so they all come from her
1: It, it is difficult right because like this is her last ride like she's going to do it the way that she's always done it But playing Mia is in service of your goals as a club, so like it's not as if unless you don't
0: think Mia is ready, which you know,
1: all Mia can do is score goals, and if she scores goals, no one can look any other way at it than she's ready. And by the way, we scored zero goals before she came on, so the evidence is not like it was five one, and boy, were we just cooking, and then you know we threw on this really expensive player who can score goals. And I guess they got a consolation goal. Like, no, the only reason we're still in the FA cup is because she came out and scored. And it would have been fucking embarrassing for Emma in her last season after having won this trophy as many times as she had. And to not lose in 20 some odd matches in the FA cup over a number of years to go out to West Ham at home because your, your pride is in the way or something like that's, Oh, that's a bad look. So yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there is no other option right now. Maybe Kat's the option. Maybe Micah comes back and, and plays in some sort of dual striker world. Maybe Fran, you know, maybe they resume that kind of four four two from a couple of years ago where that you can have the striker off and maybe Lauren's off of Fran in the other direction than it was today. I th- there are combinations, but like if you were asking me, a person who loves a back to goal striker. <laughs> In, in, if I were building a team, I would have that that profile player in my club. We we got a really good one. Let's use her.
0: I want to move on and talk a little bit about uh, a couple of other players who I think we've not really touched on. I think the first Ollie I want to talk about is Erin, because I think actually she's probably the player who really deserves the plaudits who played the full the full game, obviously she took the captain's armband off when Sophie Inger went off. I was honestly surprised that she didn't start with it, but, I mean, whatever. But I feel like she obviously gets the second goal in extra time popping up in the box. We had the videos going around of her doing that against Arsenal from um, quite a few years ago now, uh, and it felt like a funny, you know, echo of that kind of goal. It's, It's amazing. I was also enjoying the fact that, her and Gori were both wearing 22, like two of the tiniest, toughest tackling midfielders running around in that area. Um, but I feel like Erin's going to be a really, really important player in this, this time period going forward. And for me right now, she's probably the only nailed down midfielder we have. Like, I've got preferences, I think, in terms of who I want to see alongside her and who I want to see ahead of her. But... For me, like she's the only one who's who's the no-brainer every time. And she's just like constantly putting in like eight, nine out of ten performances at the moment.
2: Yeah. Like she was like inarguably the 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 driver for us today. Like even in our bad spells, she was the one taking the ball. She was the one taking responsibility. She was the one shouting at wingers when they weren't tracking back. She was the one who was dictating play going forward, winning her 50-50s, which a lot of us on the pitch weren't doing, and uh, yeah, it, to me, you know, it's it's absolutely right that she has the captain's armband. She is the leader on that pitch. She is the driver. She is the you know she is the Emma Hayes on the pitch. The closest she you can get to having Emma out there and dictating play because that's what Erin has been for the last you know few years as well as as she's maturing as a player. And we talked about. You know that next stage in her development and could she add that kind of creation could she not just be a kind of roaming destroyer but add moments to her game where she can you know change the game and and you know get big goals get big assists and she's done that it's like what is it four and three now goals wise um for erin i think so like you know, she's definitely our most important player right now with with Sam out as well. Like, she is our midfield, essentially. And we'll come on to how good Melly was off the bench and and how good Shook was in, in her own way as well. But Erin is the pivot. Like, everything comes through her. Everything is played around her. Like, she is the system, <laughs> essentially. Like, and and that is really great but I, I really hope that others also step up and, and help her with her mantle. But I do really want Erin to keep the armband, to be honest.
0: Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think, I mean, seeing Lloyd Ports come on, Nick, and play with Erin, again, just, I think, showed how much more there is to get out of this midfield if everyone involved in it, who I think is at the top of their game, can stay fit. Um I know like for a long time people have potentially looked at Ingle as being someone who's maybe on the way out and then she puts in a couple of good performances and everyone's like, oh it's so important to have her and it is so important to have her, especially with the injuries we've had in that area. But I think we saw today when Lloyd Pots and Erin are together like that's meant to be the that's meant to be the pivot. Like two players who can go, who can sit, who have the you know, ability to uh, make goal contributions. I mean, Leupold's assist for Aggie Beaver-Jones' goal, I thought was great, like a level of inventiveness that I just felt like we hadn't really had from our midfield um, for large portions of the game. And then especially when you've got players like Nuskan being able to come in, the options of James and Cubby, like there is a really good midfield there. We've not even like spoken about Cankovic, it's just everyone staying fit enough to play in it in a regular basis, so the relationships are there to make it work.
1: I mean, we, we were talking about Sam, I and mean, the whole team has changed now. You you lose an automatic, or as close to automatic as you can get from a goal-scoring perspective, a bailout perspective when you're playing bad. I'm kind of dreaming of a midfield three right now with with Shook and Melly and maybe a more advanced Aaron or a more advanced Melly and and you kind of see those players interact a little bit differently than they've been made to as like a more of a sitting block from from deep. Um I there there has to be more than one answer to the way that we get goals. You know, Aaron stepping up and getting goals great. Uh Shook and obviously more goals than I think we expected her to score so far in her Chelsea career. She's been all over the place up top. So you start to think about the ways that you can take some of the burden off of your LJs, off of your Guru Raitens, off of you know, your friend Kirbys. The team's going to have to become a lot more complete. And maybe in the long run, that is a phenomenal thing because they're all sharing the responsibility instead of just looking at the talisman up top to, to get all the goals. But for right now, they're going to have to figure out how do you create goals differently than we have been creating goals, and that could be that Melly becomes a big part of that because that pass today was extraordinary. It was very very good. You know, you got Aggie coming on, always making an impact. That's another player that is is a different profile player than maybe uh, what we started with. So I, I'm pumped about this uh, from a midfield perspective because I see a future where all three of those players certainly rotate more than they have, but might end up playing together.
0: I think we are probably ready to vaguely move on to a player of the match moment. But Ollie, I'm going to, because I can see the Google talk that you have mentioned in your slash on player of the match, someone who we haven't spoken about. So I'm going to use this to segue into... Give me a little chat about JRK, because I felt like she had... A mixed game. But I don't know if I've got side of the pitch bias. I feel like lots of people will be familiar with side of the pitch bias. It's when you're on one side, whether it's on TV or live. And as soon as the player's next to you, you either think they're good or bad. And then they go to the other side and you don't really notice them and suddenly they do some good stuff or bad stuff. Vice versa, vice versa. So in the first half, JLK was on the opposite side. I was like, she ain't doing anything. And in the second half, she was on my side and I was like, oh, OK, all right. I'm feeling like I'm feeling it. And, you know, she got her assists. Uh, She helped make the goal. She kept going past West Ham defenders to get into the box. Um, Give me your uh, more bird's eye view on JLK.
2: Yeah, I, I think just the word I'd use is outlet, right? Like, like we, we struggled for a long, long time in that game just to break down the West Ham defence. And the only times we were really breaking through was when we just released Yo-yo down the right and it was just run it just run at your marker like beat them and and get it in the box and she like doggedly ran that ran that wing the entire game really uh, to the extent where she was our basically one point of chance creation until those subs were made and I think it it speaks volumes of the level to which she's reached at the football club now where she's one of the players who you can kind of rely on reliably now to create those chances. You know, if we think back to last season, you wouldn't have been able to do that. You you would have probably predicted in a you know, scenario like this where we were struggling to chance create, she would be hooked at halftime or maybe even earlier, right? Because she would have struggled to beat her marker, she would have not put in any decent crosses and it would kind of break down on her was the opposite was true really today it was breaking down kind of around her and that kind of <laughs> interaction in the box where we simply didn't have anyone uh to kind of take those chances and she got her assists in the end because she kept up the same level of of chance creation and, and energy output and if she keeps doing that this season i think she's going to be one of our most important players down there um, because you can rely on that energy. And you know Neve can't play every game and Aggie isn't gonna get the same amount of minutes as maybe she should have done on the left-hand side where she's kind of the nearest proxy I can see to Yoyo on the left. So we're gonna kind of rely on that energy down the right a lot this season. And I, I think she did have mixed moments, but I think the majority of them were pretty good. And even when we were playing terribly, I think she was still pushing and still trying to create those chances. So that's why I'm giving her her flowers. Left.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think also she probably at different points struggled with that, like Perisay Lawrence, what what's going on, those switches in, in kind of figuring that out. And I definitely felt like in the second half, at least, again, assuming this isn't my on my side of the pitch bias, but like Lawrence was a better at getting forward. Um, and finding that space, and also therefore setting JRK free. Uh, Nick, who who was your player of the match?
1: Aaron. Uh, I mean, like, I've I have three shirts with her name on the back, so that's my. I didn't shirt. know that. It's my shirt Big bias. Fan. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I've only had two, and it, it Millie, of course, um, and and Aaron, who is, I think, very quickly uh, risen in the ranks, and I, I yeah, the in a game where everything had gone wrong for the majority of it, um, you know, I think all mentioned just taking responsibility and, you know, kind of putting uh, lackluster performances on your back and just doing everything that you can to score, like scored a header too, which is like not a super common occurrence. It's like an Eden Hazard header from back in the day. It's like, you're going to put that in a, a frame somewhere. So, yeah, I'm I'm just, I, yeah. I, she is, to, to Ollie's point from earlier, she's doing all the same pivot stuff from last year, but has added goals this year. And, like, that's a very clear straight line evolution. She could be a real problem as she grows into the season. She's one of those players where you're like, at, at this point in last year, you're like, oh, girl, Raiden's outrageous right now it could be one of those situations where you're kind of talking about her for player of the season helping Chelsea and the Champions League get to a really advanced stage like and if she in Millie's absence ends up you know taking on the captain's armband and, and being that effective then, yeah
0: yeah I think she's really owning it
1: She's a natural, though. I mean, she's a natural yeah. at that. It's it's like it's so hard obvious. It's on the sleeve
0: all the time. Like the passion is always there, and like it, I think that's that's going to be so important for this Chelsea team going into this half of the season without Sam, without Millie. Um, you know, like even still thinking about like losing Magda. You know, there are lots of people who've been sort of deeply involved and invested in the club in the best way who who aren't either on the pitch or have moved on right now and I think it's so clear you know I think almost like sometimes it I forget how long Erin's been at the club
1: a long time yeah it's a
0: really really long time and we've seen her move around so much and I think last year we saw her really sort of settling in into getting regular midfield minutes and this year it feels like it's a lot more she's being handed the keys to the midfield. It's like, you play where you want. Like, I know there might be a 10 10 ahead of you, there might be a 6 behind you, or you might be the 6 and there might be 2 ahead of you, but, like, this is for you to make of it what you want. Um, I would probably give it to Aaron, but, like, I I will give it to Erin because she does deserve it. I'm on such an Erin run. I think this is my fourth Erin Cuthbert player of the match in a row, but she deserves it because she's playing the best. I will just shout out Frank Kirby um, because we should touch on the fact that Kirby did an interview with uh, the BBC during the week, um, which was predominantly about uh, her her experiences with the way people have talked about her body. But within that interview, she also mentioned that she's got six months left on a deal. She's not spoken to Chelsea really about it yet. Hayes did in oppressor presser saying like, this isn't unusual. There was lots of outrage on Twitter. I can kind of see both sides. I love Fran. I would happily give her a lifetime contract to do whatever she wanted to do at Chelsea. I can also see why you look at Fran and say, you can't do that in reality. but. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, again, what plays out here from the Sam issue, the Sam absence, and how Fran can potentially step into that. Because my big concern about her is how many minutes can she play? And she came off very early. Um, And I, I don't think that's like a tactical thing. I think that Chelsea are just managing her minutes incredibly heavily. But I did think she was the player who was creating the most with the ball at her feet in this sort of like quasi eight slash ten role in terms of the part, like in a period of the game where we were awful, she was the person who I I felt like was creating chances when we had no right to, given how everyone else was playing around her. And I think that's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see sort of how that situation develops. And I hope that she can sort of pick up enough minutes and have enough impact to, to, to help the club uh, moving forward. The other big news sort of before we finish off, which we were going to touch on today, but we have had so much stuff to talk about, I'm going to save it for the middle of the week, is that obviously there's been a lot of manager chat. Uh, basically, uh, stories come out that Chelsea wants to name a female coach because of consultation with senior players, which I love. Um, I think that's really, really crucial. And I think it, it's really nice to sort of have players involved in thinking about that moving forward as well. Um, you know, I think obviously Chelsea are going to go into a totally new era without Hayes at the helm. And I think it's really worthwhile having players involved and in thinking about that stuff. Sort of as a result of this, there seems to be three names floating around. So Molly Hudson and Naz Kinsella, obviously Naz friend of the pub, pod, came out with Casey Stoney and Laura Harvey as two of the leading candidates. And then Amanda Zaza landed the third just before we kicked off against West Ham, uh, being Beta a Gunner it who I've got to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about either. So uh, she certainly seems to be the outlier. But I'm not surprised that Chelsea are looking... For someone who's done a lot of stuff within Sweden, because I think that is a very, you know, that's a market that Chelsea obviously have a lot of affection for. But Abdullah and I will have a chat about that in midweek and sort of um, go through the the pros and cons and what might be going on there. So we can do a proper deep dive on all of that. Um, Obviously... That was the fourth round of the FA Cup. We're now into the fifth round of the FA Cup being drawn Monday night, 7.30 UK time. Not a huge amount of surprises elsewhere in the Cup. Um, Big wins for United City and Arsenal all against um, opposition in the second or third division. Only real sort of upset was Wolves beating Reading. Um, Tottenham came from two to nil down against Sheffield United, who are also in the Championship, to win three two. Just to finish off, Nick, Oli, want to get your thoughts on where this performance leaves us ahead of United, because I don't feel great. So
1: a few, a few less sandcastles in midweek, perhaps a few, a few more formations with. Me official in it, uh, I think. I think it's going to be fine. I mean, look, they—the fact that they had to go to extra time today—hopefully pisses everybody off um, because that was absolutely not required to beat West Ham. Um, and look, I, I think Emma's going to have to figure out how to balance the way that she would typically do things in an environment where she is going to be. The manager the next year and looking ahead for a player's future under her own tutelage and what she needs to do to win every possible trophy on the way out now because next year at this point doesn't matter we don't know who the manager is going to be we know who a lot of players are going to be what matters right now is ending this season in the best brightest uh, most thankful way possible. And that is done with trophies. So there has to figure out, like, there has to be a balance there, essentially. And, and she's going to have to figure that out.
2: I was going to say, like, yeah, it's, it's the early kickoff. So we better be up for that. <laughs> and if you want, if you want a really nice way of thinking about this game and, and how it panned out, half the game, we were awful. And then we were on subs and the other half of the game, we were great. So If we go for that 60 minutes from 60 to 120, then learn a hell of a lot of lessons from that 60 minutes and take the right ones from that and kind of disregard everything that happened before that. Because I think it's a nice lesson to learn that you can't go into any game and expect to win. And we've tried that a couple of times this season and it's come up with exactly the same result. So let's head into that ready. You know, against essentially a title rival, no matter how far behind they may be, let's win it because it's United at home. Let's win it.
0: Listen, for me, it's motivation enough that United had never beaten us, and I have no interest in seeing that start next Sunday. So, twelve thirty kickoff at the Bridge. Um, gonna be interesting to see sort of numbers. I guess Uh Chelsea's saying over twenty thousand to get sold, which still seems. Crazy few to me, but hopefully a few more thousand people turn up. We've managed to get more in there for Spurs, so Jesus Christ. Um. Then we also have Real Madrid at the bridge on Wednesday. That'll be an interesting visit as well before we go away to Brighton. Paris away to finish off the Champions League group stage. Then we've got Everton at home. And then the FA Cup fifth round will be our sixth game, whatever that draw is. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Ollie. It's been great to have you. I will say, for all that this game was stressful, it's been a really interesting discussion. <laughs> I think it it almost if Mia had started and played, we'd have had a lot less to talk about of what this team maybe <laughs> looks like without Sam Kerr. But um, we've certainly, I think, managed to dig into a little more about the issues that that might arise as a result. Um, Abdullah and I will be back with you mid-week to look ahead to that United game and do a little bit of manager chat we'll we'll have a think about what we think about all those names on the list but until then Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high